Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. I'm Gordon Leopard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. And these guys, great to be here today, guys. Yeah, good Saturday. It That's is. Right. Another great day here in the deep, hot south. <laughs> We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link over in the right-hand corner. You can get our podcast. We have past shows on there. You can also stream us if you're kind of hanging out in your uh, your, your kitchen or wherever you're, you're chilling today. You can stream us live um, on your computer or go to the dial at 1230 a.m. So we make it easy to, to listen to the doctors. That's right. No excuse for not listening to the money doctors this morning or this week at your leisure off our podcast also do check us on our website moneymd.net as john said you can link to us there and you know you can listen to our podcast but you also can email us your questions we would love to hear from you you can also email us directly at info at moneymd.net well guys i think we have an awesome show lineup for the day very important uh, topics here i mean we got the brexit that's coming right up um however that has you know, gone and passed here, but I mean the ramifications uh, are yeah. continuing. You still feel the ripples, that's for sure. Yeah, aftershocks. Exactly, and so we're going to talk about, um, you know, what do advisors say about Brexit? You know, should you be panicking, running for the exits? Well, what do you think, Gordon? Don't, don't exit on the Brexit. Don't exit on the Brexit. That's <laughs> right. Good title. I like it. I like it. 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 It'll, it'll be an interesting topic, and kind of hopefully it'll put some people at ease. You know, just to stay focused. That's 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 a big key to it, especially during times like this. Yeah, that'll be a good topic. So we're we'll start off with that. We're also going to talk about the five costly mistakes executors make. Um, you know, almost everybody finds themselves being an executor at some point in their life of an estate. And there are some pitfalls you can fall into here. you got to be careful when you're an executor. So we're going to talk about the common five mistakes that can really derail you and, and create some hardship in yep. that role. Yeah, and then we're going to end the uh, the show uh, with a discussion on do's and don'ts of um, paying for Johnny's College, right? I mean, college is extremely expensive. We see a lot of different options. There are some good ways to pay for it, and then there are some bad ways. So we'll kind of dive into the uh, the do's and the don'ts of that. Yeah, that'll be a great topic. Okay, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, the Treasury Department. And, um, guys, sorry to be a, a, a downer here, but um, this is not the best stat Come on, in the John. world. <clears throat> oh, man, don't depress me. <laughs> yeah, so the national debt was $18.1 trillion. That's with a T capital as of – Yeah, capital T, as of May of 2015 – and it rose by $1 trillion um, over the last year. So it's now $19.2 trillion. And so when you look at, you know, wow. 
the debt level. That is $19.2 trillion. And I was reading some uh, some information on this, and, and uh, it's pretty interesting. It, it's, it says that history shows that when the debt is in a very high, um, high zone, is what they called it, to the GDP, that economic growth is usually slower because the government is paying so much money out towards servicing the debt versus doing other stuff. So growth-wise, this is a scary number. Yeah, this is not good. And I don't understand why it went up a trillion dollars, because I thought the deficit was only running about $400 billion a year now. Four, That's what I've four, heard, five hundred yeah. billion. So somehow, I, I don't, I don't yeah, know how we got a trillion. $600 billion there? Yeah, I mean, may, it's probably something to do with the, the, the timing. Maybe the timing of it, yeah. The timing of, the, of this measurement. This fiscal, measurement was yeah. between, you know, from May to May. Yeah. Um, and the fiscal year runs through September, so I don't know, but e- either way, that's still a huge number, and uh, that's a big increase. That, that's, that's that's trouble. We need to, you know, our government needs to do something about this quick. And unfortunately, I don't hear many people talking about it. Not it's anymore. It's just not in the in the uh, political season we're in. You know, I think a lot of people have gotten numb to it. You <clears throat> know, some people that's just kind of the, yeah. the ostrich mm-hmm. mentality. Put your head in the sand, and maybe a you know. They won't. Uh, hey, what what about the interest on that? Do you think the interest could have right. made up some of that difference? Well, I mean, right now the interest is only a couple hundred billion dollars a year. You know, um, and that, that sounds you like a lot of money. Straight face, I mean, but uh, seriously, that's pretty low interest rate. I mean, it's because you know rates are so low, and the government has been refinancing that's a, that's these. One of the dangers they've been refinancing these very short term. So, um, wow. yeah, I mean, I, I don't. We're not. Right now, the the service on this debt has not been a problem because it's so low. But, <clears throat> gee, I mean, you know, if it keeps growing at a trillion dollars a year, mm-hmm. we'll be in serious trouble in a hurry. And we already have been. You know, it's I been agree. growing tremendously yeah. over the last eight years yeah. under the current administration and since the financial crisis. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something to keep an eye on, no doubt. Big problem. Speaking of problems, I tell you, we're just full of good news today. Um, yeah, we're leading right into don't exit on the Brexit. Um, That's right. Britain's vote to, to leave the European Union. Um, yeah, that, that pretty much rocked the markets here the past week, didn't it, Gordon? It did. It sent shockwaves, you know, through through the markets. But, you know, let's, let's look back just several months ago, um, back to August 24th and 25th. You know, what was going on then? China was in some financial woes, and people were very nervous about things going on. And 24th and 25th, man, those were some rocky days in the market for Mm -hmm. sure. So, you know, along with many other people in the world, you might be wondering, well, what does this Brexit, what does this particular event mean for my money? And, uh, you know, if you're worried about your 401k, take heart. You know, you, you shouldn't rush to sell all your equities. And, you know, some even say it's a great opportunity to buy. And, you know, that's that's what we tend to lean toward as well. You know, when things are down like this, let's exercise that buy low, sell high. Yeah, last uh, Monday would have been a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for yeah. sure. And, you know, there's even a bonus for those looking to borrow uh, right now. So rates might even fall a little bit. So, yes, things are a little bit bumpy right now. But. You know, this is really a, a, a time to stay calm and kind of carry on. And, you know, speaking of investments, you know, Steve, what what do you think there? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously investments have been hurt over the past week or two, you know, as a result of this. And yeah, if you, particularly, you know, your investments that are in national. If you're in international stocks and, you know, Europe, you, you certainly, you know, you felt, felt some it. sting this past week. <clears throat> Um, U.S. stocks fell more than about 5% in just a couple of days there. 
but you know European indexes fell more than twelve percent. So I mean, you know, market experts though they say you know that's initial reaction was largely emotional. Um, you know, they note that you know Britain's separation from the European Union takes several years to play out, and and most experts have urged investors not to sell out of this. You know, this is really just noise when it comes down right down to it. Um, the reality of what this means for 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 Europe and and for the European Union really won't be known for for a, while. a couple of years right. really to see how this plays out and I think it's very likely as they point out here that um, you know things will continue the way they are I mean they'll they'll sure they will probably exit but still they're going to they're going to continue commerce, and your companies will still operate, and the market will operate just as it is before. And so it's probably not going to have a long-term lasting effect. And it could be actually a positive. I mean, who knows? No, no one really knows. But if you if the other countries look at what the U.K. is going through, they may not be as willing to exit. I mean, if exactly. they see some issues in the U.K., um, then they could it could solidify the EU. I mean, we just don't know. That's right. Yeah, and I don't think the European Union is going to make this easy for them. No, um, I don't either. So I think it'll be some hard negotiations, and, you know, who knows? They could even reverse this decision. You know, apparently it's not official until until uh, their their parliament, you mm-hmm. know, ratifies it, so to speak, and votes to, to in fact, you know, carry forward with yeah. it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they do another vote. I've heard rumblings about, you know, some of the people that voted for it now are like, oh, maybe I didn't want to do that based on the outcome. So, huh. Exactly. Yeah, I think they were shocked. I mean, it was a shock for everybody. It just shows how unpredictable the world is mm-hmm. out there. Nobody predicted this yeah. really happening the way it did. But, um, you know, here we are. That's right. And, you know, whether it's a downturn in the stock market or um, the increased global uncertainty, you know, these events are a reminder that you really need to have a thoughtful financial plan in place. And that means, you know, setting aside some time, some adequate time and uh having savings and having, you know, really a diversified portfolio to kind of weather these storms. Because if you're overweighted, you know, in a particular sector, uh, you could you could really feel the effects there. Yeah, and, you know, kind of put this in perspective a little bit. There's a, an index known as the VIX, That's and it right. just it, it um, tracks – the. it's called the fear index. It's kind of interesting that they have an index for fear. But um, to put this in perspective, that index jumped from 17 to 25 on Friday – but that's a way below what it was back in October of 2008 when it was up at 80. So it's at 25 now. It was at 80 in 2008. So it wow. just kind of puts things in perspective so it's a little less bit. Less than that, a third. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. it's not even close to when Lehman you know, collapsed and so forth. Right. So people right. are – it was an emotional reaction, like you guys said. Yeah, it's really just a blip in the market. I mean, it's it's going to make for, you know, a bad month here when everything kind of washes out and you get your returns for – for June, no doubt, and your 401k and other investments. But, you know, the fact is, I mean, we, we have this. Uh, this happens all the time. There's always some kind of disruption in the market. You get these 5% drops in the market um, and in your portfolio on average about three times a year. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it, you have something like this disrupts it. And it never recovers either, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> no, it does recover, John. Oh, okay. It recovers Sorry, right, very right, right. quickly. That's what we're trying here. to reassure people there, John. Yeah, that, right, John. Get this right. No, seriously, I mean, it, those 5% drops, I think, recover in about 33 days, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. So they recover very quickly, a little over a month. 
Um, so it happens pretty quick. So we'll um, we'll kind of wrap this up when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about Brexit, That's right. you know, the hot topic here of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is just kind of the topic of the week. I mean, it, it yes, it caused a lot of disruptions in the market. <clears throat> But, Gordon, you know, I think it's – most experts out there say this is kind of short-term noise. That's right. And, and, it's, and it's so important uh, to stay focused during this time. Make sure you have a good plan in place. Stick to that plan. Yeah. You know. Be diversified. Be diversified like you were talking about. And, you know, one thing we've got to realize is how fast information travels these days. And that's why you can see such sharp fluctuations, I think, uh, in the markets. Just as quickly as it fell, you know, we can almost see a turnaround with it coming back. So, you know, staying focused is really, really important. And there could possibly be some positives come out of this, right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the the seemingly positive things that, that seems to be coming out of this is that interest rates – which the Fed has been raising slowly, you know, over time. They started back last December. Um, you know, this may take take place, uh, may kind of uh, stem the need for that for a while because, um, you know, this little bit of uncertainty um, will likely cause the Fed to, to kind of delay their action soon. So, and that's a good thing because it keeps interest rates low, keeps home mortgages low, um, makes it more affordable to buy houses. And also just just keeps the Fed from having to raise interest rate, which tends to hurt rates, which tend to hurt um, profits. Yeah. You know, they tend to hurt the market. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that's also it's um, bad news for savers, um, but great news for borrowers, like you just mentioned, uh, particularly for those that are looking for a new mortgage or refinancing. I mean, um, you know, the savings rate, guys, is still paltry and it's been that way for for years. And that really hurts. Uh, older folks who you know like CDs and cash and so forth, it just doesn't make any money. That's right. You know, and uh, you know, anxious investors seeking the the relatively safety of the U.S. bonds set prices for the ten year Treasury note sharply higher, and in turn that that basically pulled the the yield down much lower. And because long term mortgage rates tend to track the yields on notes, mortgage rates, I mean, they could fall further. So again, for the mortgage industry, they're probably cheering this. Yeah, and they're actually approaching, you know, record lows. Uh, so if you're a buyer, don't don't wait. If if you've been thinking about refinancing or, you know, potentially purchasing that home, go ahead and lock it in while you can. Um, I, I helped a couple connect with a, a pretty good lender here recently shaved fifty five thousand dollars off of the life of their mortgage nice. by refinancing oh, that's a lot of money and got a you know great rate didn't hardly change their payment mm-hmm. at all so mm-hmm. they didn't have to you know change a whole lot of stuff but fifty five thousand how low was the rate um some of the 15s are as low as 2.75 mm-hmm. right now wow which yeah that's really good that is, yeah. The average thirty thirty year rate is about three and a half percent now. That's right. Um, so that's that's pretty good, and it dropped a little bit, you know, as a result of this uh, 
this Brexit uh, the past week. So they, they, who knows how long they'll stay down, but um, right. they may bounce back if the markets come back. So you want to lock into these if you're in the position to do that. Yeah, and, you know, the Brexit, it could indirectly benefit other borrowers if the Fed holds off on raising uh, the the central bank's key benchmark interest rates. You know, when the rates go up, it can uh, raise short-term borrowing costs for banks, and that can lead to higher rates on things such as credit cards, home equity uh, loans, and credit lines. Yeah. So, you know. I have a I have a chart up on my wall, and it goes, it's the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and it goes back to 1900, and yep. it, it shows the zigs and the zags. It shows the Great Depression. That's very evident, but, yep. you know, it shows 50 other, you know, drops and increases, and, and so this is pretty normal. I mean, yeah, this is like a blip on that big chart, right? It I mean, a, it's nothing. You, can't, you wouldn't be able to see it. Now, we don't know where it's going to go from here. We're not trying to predict the future, but I guess our only point is, is, you know, the market's tend to have these kind of incidences, and we don't know when they're going to come or what they're going to be, but they have always recovered, right. as long as you're diversified. Exactly. That, and I think you see a lot of people that reacted to the market and that are reacting mm-hmm. instead of responding. Remember, reactions are actions without thought. Responses are thoughtful actions. There you go. That's right. There you go. Good, so don't be word. a trader. Be an investor for the long term. <laughs> there you go. Good word. All right. We'll end this topic on that one. And we'll go to the question of the week. Yeah, this actually has to do with our financial fact, guys. So y'all will like this. What's the difference between a deficit and debt? So you hear... Can I answer that? Um, you can. Let me just... just Before... Hang on. I know you're anxious on this over there, Gordon. So you... But you hear people spinning... You hear people spinning this a lot, saying, hey, we lowered the deficit. We lowered the deficit. It's lower than it has been. That's not really that good, right? Well, my answer might... Be a little bit different than what you were thinking. Okay, go okay. ahead. The deficit are trees. The debt is the forest. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. I, I like, it. like that. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. simple. The small you picture, know? big picture. I kind of <clears throat> like that. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the deficit is an annual number, That's right. basically, and it's just a snapshot of how that, that year did. How far behind. That's yeah, right. how far behind. And so you'll hear the government saying, well, we re- reduced our deficit. Well, maybe the deficit was a trillion, and this year it's only $800 billion. Yeah, that doesn't do much. That but does not help. Still adding yes. to the debt. And that needs to be a surplus. Yes. Yeah, we need to get to the S word from the D word. Yeah, so when the <laughs> politicians are talking about reducing deficits, they're, they're reducing the – you know, what they did from last year to this year, but that's still not a good number. It needs to be a surplus. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we've got to balance the budget, so we're we're stopping the bleeding here. You know, just because you put a tourniquet on it and you're still gushing, you know, I don't know, you know, 50 you're milliliters progress a, there. a minute here or something, you're, you're still going to bleed out. I mean, okay, you st- you got to do more than that. you got to stop the bleeding, and that means balancing the budget. So, Anyway, we don't mean to depress you, but yeah, I mean, we definitely want to get to, we want to get somebody, legislatures in office to take this seriously and can really fix the problem. So it's a good question of the week. All right. um, That leads up to our next topic here, and that is the five costly executor mistakes. Um, This is an article out of Bottom Line Personal, Douglas Wilson, here very recently, and, you know, I mean, this is something that's very common. I mean, so let's say your mom asks you to be the executor of her estate since everyone in the family trusts you. Okay. Right? Happens a lot. At least it does to me. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, everyone finds themselves in this situation eventually. 
Unfortunately, when that time comes, and it will come, you know, there are many potholes that you could fall into, even if you are the financially savvy type of person. Um, you know, family members, friends they who, who agree to serve as the trustees or executor of an estate, they often find themselves in over their heads. And if something goes wrong, it might not be just the beneficiaries who pay the price. Trustees and executors, they have a legal responsibility to act in the best interest of the beneficiaries. And, you know, they can be sued if they fail to, to act in that best interest or if somebody questions what they're doing, even if their missteps were accidental. So here are five common trustee and executor mistakes that you need to avoid if you find yourself in that situation. Yeah, so the first one here on the list is commingling estate or trust accounts with your personal accounts. And guys, this is this is common, uh, especially when the executor or the trustee is a surviving spouse. I mean, this spice spouse might, for example, pay for the trust or estate bills out of the couple's existing checking account rather than setting up a new account um, to to handle all of these bills. But you know, when you commingle the uh, estate and the trust assets with personal assets. It really creates a tax reporting nightmare. I mean, you know, you're going to have to have an accountant that's going to have to to go through uh, all the transactions, all the details. It's going to be very difficult, and it's also going to be expensive. I mean, you could be talking about thousands of dollars for someone to go and kind of back everything out and figure out what should have been in which account. Reconcile. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that creates a, a, that creates Absolutely. a huge mess. I mean, they cite an example here. It cost over $6,000 to to straighten out, um, you know, this situation. So, yeah, you definitely don't want to make that mistake. That's a good one. Another one here on the list is purchasing items from the estate or trust. You know, for example, let's say that you're the executor of an estate and you need a car. And as it happens, the estate needs to sell the deceased car. Um, You know, buying the car seems like a win-win solution, you know, but doing so could open the door to a lawsuit from one of the estate's beneficiaries. As an executor or trustee, you are legally responsible for obtaining the best possible price for and terms for any items that you sell. So if you sell something to yourself, even if it's a fair price, it leaves open the, the door to accusations that you might have been able to sell it for more over time. And, and that's true, Steve. We actually ran into that with my grandparents' uh, hmm. estate. Yeah. You know, we were needing the car, but we decided as a family not to sell it to me because we didn't want that to, mm-hmm. you know, look fuzzy or anything. Right, so right. we just sold it to an outside party. Hmm. Yeah, to the other family members. So it can create problems. So we'll continue talking about this when we come back from the break. But if you have questions for us, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber, a certified financial planner, and here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor with Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five costly executor mistakes. Um, guys, I mean, if if you're like me, 
I think just about everybody finds themselves in their situa- that situation at some point in their life where they're the executor of an estate, mm-hmm. maybe one of their parents' estates or, you know, maybe even an aunt or somebody like that or, or a sibling, you know, heaven forbid. But um, it happens. And, and so what happens when that when you are the executor is there are a lot of potholes you can fall into. There are some things you can you can get in trouble with. And it's very, very common. And we talked about the first one here, and that is commingling assets from the estate with personal assets. We see this happen, you know, occasionally where somebody will basically start paying bills out of their own account and add money to their own account. And they don't open up a separate executive uh, estate account um, in the name of the deceased, you know, or a trust account. And uh, that's a big problem. Yeah, it gets Um, messy. It does. It gets real messy, and you've got to separate it back out. Um, there is some accounting that has to be done to do that, and it can be expensive. So that's the first one. The second one here is purchasing items from the estate yourself. I mean, sometimes, you know, there's a car or there's something in the estate that that somebody wants, and, um, you know, when you, you, you purchase it yourself, then that brings up the question of whether they got a fair price for that. That's because right. if there's other beneficiaries, which you know, typically there are siblings or somebody else in the family, you know, they start questioning, you know, well, gee, that piece of land, you know, I mean, was that really a fair price or that car was at a fair price? And, um, <clears throat> you know, then lawsuits can fly. So you don't want that to happen. So what you have to do is you got to get written permission from all the beneficiaries before you purchase any items from an estate or trust <clears throat> and include the purchase price in that document. And if it isn't possible to get written permission from the beneficiaries, hire a professional who has experience selling an item of that kind of uh, of thing in the estate, and just just buy it the same way everybody else would. Just buy it straight off it's the gotta market. It's got to be a fair price. It's got to be a market fair price, and it's got to be offered out there to the marketplace <clears throat> to ensure that you're paying a fair price for it. And don't purchase an items until you confirm that the estate will have enough funds to pay off the creditors, too. And that's, that's a good point there, Steve. Yeah, that's really important because otherwise, I mean, one of those creditors might argue in court that you you could have attained more for that item or that, you know, you have to pay the state back so that they can, um, you know, in turn uh, uh, get more money for it. Well, so, and, and I think the point that you just covered uh, leads into the next point very well. Failing to communicate with beneficiaries. You know, it really gets down to uh, communication here. Beneficiaries who are uh, not kept up to date on, you know, what's going on in the estate or the trust, sometimes they start to suspect, you know, what's what's going on? Is something shady? Uh, and they might think, hey, are they keeping me from my money? Uh, the next step, they might hire an attorney. You know, yep. and uh, start seeking some some legal advice there, and sometimes that's not a bad idea. But here's what you should do: let the beneficiaries know as soon as possible that they are actually named beneficiaries. Okay, so again, communication. Warn them that it might be, you know, it might be a little while before they receive any of the assets. You know, distribution of assets. Um, they're, they're unlikely to, to occur within the next month or two, so it usually takes a little bit of time, uh, even for simple estates and trust. Um, some can take as many as several years. In fact, I, I knew of a case where there was an estate that took over four years wow. to totally settle, but they had you know real estate spread out all over the U.S. Yes. and Canada, mm-hmm. so it was a very complex estate. So, you know... It can take quite a while, but 
provide beneficiaries with periodic updates. Just keep them abreast of what's going on with, you know, the income and expenses that are involved, you know, with the estate. Yeah, great communication can solve a lot of these problems. That's so right. that's a great point. Not only do beneficiaries grow suspicious if they don't receive that kind of update, you know, occasionally. Many states have laws requiring that you have some kind of accounting and you provide that at least annually. So that's a great point. Another one here on the list is failing to secure the valuables. Now, this is something that I think a lot of pe- executors are guilty of, and that is, you know, heirs have been known to start grabbing items as soon as someone passes away. I'm sure we all have seen this where, you know, somebody comes in and starts kind of taking stuff that they Pillaging. say, oh, you know, mom said that, you know, I could have this jewelry, you know, maybe, for example. Um, but by law, when somebody dies, when that person uh, what that person said about the distribution of their possessions really doesn't matter. What matters is what's in the will or the trust. The executor or the trustee is responsible for protecting the deceased possessions until they can be distributed according to the terms of of their will. So, you know, you need to make sure that you protect it. Right, John? Yeah, and so here's some uh, here's a to-do item if you're in this situation. You know, if no one is living in the deceased home, change the door locks as soon as possible. I mean, you don't know how many keys are floating around. So as the executor or trustee, you have the legal right to have the locks changed. If you don't have a key, then you can grant permission to a locksmith to, to break in if necessary to change the locks. Make sure you move uh, portable valuables to a secure location, maybe a safe in your home, bank safe deposit box. And do this even if you're confident that the beneficiaries will not take the items because, you know, unfortunately, theft is a problem in today's society. And, you know, a, a burglar may see the deceased name in the obituary and they might target the house. So uh, you also want to move vehicles to a secure location such as a private garage. you got to get some action items. It's really busy when someone passes away. There's Some of these items. Items here are really, really good. And, and a thief doesn't care what the will says. No, they don't. They you will know. take it. Yeah, I mean, that's a prime target there, somebody that's just passed away and when they show up in the obituaries for a thief, um, for sure. And, you know, if, if, for some of, if some of the possessions have already gone missing, you got to let heirs know and try to track it down. You know, let them know that, that you're going to have to um, keep track of these things. And if no one comes up with it, then you're going to have to contact the police and file a report. And, you know, I mean, that shows that you're trying to fulfill your legal responsibilities as an executor or trustee, reducing the odds that you'll be um, successfully sued. And you're communicating. If that happens. Exactly. Just great communication. You know, an example they give here was that it was a painting worth thousands of dollars that disappeared from a deceased person's home. The beneficiary who took it gave it back, but only after the executor, you know, mentioned that they were going to go file a police report. Wow. So that was really good. Yeah, another one here on the list is distributing property before all the estate and trust obligations are satisfied. That's a big mistake. Beneficiaries might pressure you to give away the inheritance right away, you know, give them portions of the inheritance. But if creditors make claims against the estate or trust after you've distributed some of the assets, you could be personally liable for paying off those creditors. Hmm. That would be a huge mistake. And an example they give here is an executor who was also one of the decedents 
uh, one of the beneficiaries of the deceased was pressured by siblings to divide up the parents' estate quickly. Only after the money was distributed did the executor learn that his parents had taken out a loan for more than $50,000 that now had to be repaid by the estate. Wow. Two of the siblings refused to give back their share of the inheritance, leaving the executor to pay most of the $50,000 out of its own pocket Uh, in ruining the relationships for a long time. Yeah, that's horrible. That's horrible. You don't want that to happen. Another example they give here is paying an estate or a trust bill promptly sometimes can be a mistake also. You know, so don't don't necessarily go pay all the medical bills and everything immediately. If it is later determined that the estate owes federal taxes, that bill will likely take precedence over any other financial obligations. If there isn't enough to pay the taxes, an executor who has already paid other bills could become personally liable for the remaining tax bill. Ouch. But they'd have to have a pretty sizable estate to owe those taxes, correct? Well, if it's state ta- if it's uh, state <laughs> yeah. taxes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But still, I mean, it could be income taxes, yeah. you know, on something that's, that's previously happened, you know, over the year. They underpaid their taxes for the year. That's right. And you can't be too careful there, you know. It, it is okay to make some partial distributions before all claims uh, against the estate are made as long as you're confident now this is this is key as long as you are confident that there will be sufficient assets remaining to cover all other obligations now otherwise wait until you're you're totally sure all claims and bills have been received and paid uh, before you start making these distributions. Otherwise, like you were talking about, Steve, you can find yourself in a very uh, bad situation there, owing a lot of money out of pocket. That would be bad. So, you know, confirm that any tax payments made by the estate not only have been submitted, but they've been accepted. There's a big difference there. Make sure they've been accepted. Be aware uh, that in most states, creditors must claim, uh, they must make claims against the estate within a certain uh, period of time, often three months, but that varies from state to state. So make sure that you check you know, with your state on that window. The executor might be responsible also for placing notices of death in uh, local newspapers to start this clock ticking. Uh, but consult, you know, with an estate planning attorney. We all, we always talk about yeah, that. Yeah, You know, sit down with some legal advice, somebody that knows these laws, that's familiar with this process. They can save you a lot of time, energy, and money. Yeah, I would say that in a complex estate. I mean, you don't necessarily need an attorney to probate a simple mm-hmm. estate. Right, right. And, and it will slow things down if you get an attorney involved. So if it's just a simple will, you know, and there's, you know, a couple siblings, um, you don't necessarily need an attorney, but you need to think, be careful and think thoughtfully about that. Um, okay, well, that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor with Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are um, wrapping up our discussion here about the five costly executor mistakes. Yeah, guys, I mean, there are some 
some real problems you can fall into as an executor of an estate, and you need to be careful about these. I mean, the first one we talked about was commingling assets with your personal accounts. Um, that's a huge mistake. you got to open a separate trust or executor uh, estate checking account, you know, and keep assets separate. Don't commingle them. Another one is purchasing items from the estate yourself. You want to be careful about that because you're obligated to get the fair market price for an item, and you can be sued if the beneficiaries, the other beneficiaries, suspect that you really didn't get a fair price. So you want to communicate that and get that in writing from them if you do decide to purchase something from the estate. And then, you know, you got to make sure you just communicate really well with beneficiaries. It's going to take some time. You know, these don't these don't get settled overnight in a, a state, and beneficiaries need to know about that because sometimes they expect to receive items, you know, within – you know, a few weeks or something after somebody dies. Well, in fact, it can be, it can be nine months, right, to mm-hmm. settle an estate. It can be years, even if it's complex and you have to sell a house or something. So, you don't want to do that. And then you got to make sure you, you secure valuables <clears throat> and make sure everything is is protected. Um, and you don't want to distribute property before all the obligations are met. And then just also be careful about being the executor in the first place. You don't necessarily have to be an executor just because they listed you in their will. So you need to take a hard look at it. And, you know, if there's litigation pending against an estate or it contains some kind of complex business interest um, or there's just a lot of bickering going on among beneficiaries, you, you, you might reject that. So just be careful before you say yes to being an executor. So that's... Those are the costly mistakes for being an executor, and that leads us up here to the uh, prescription of the week. Yeah, this is a, a pretty good uh, little website we came across. It's called GoodRx.com, and it helps you find the lowest price on medicine in your area. So I went out there and checked it out, and I've taken uh, a, a medicine called Omeprazole. Uh, it's over-the-counter, and keyed that in, and it gave me a list of all the people that are selling it and their prices. So I think Walmart was the cheapest, and I don't know, there was another one. It was like 50 $52 for the um, the certain amount of quantity that I'd put in, and it went all the way up to like $96. Wow. So, wow. you know, if you're taking Lipitor or whatever you're taking, go check this out. It's called GoodRx.com, and, um, you know, I, it looks like a pretty good option, and um, we're going to start using it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I wonder if it has any – does it have any information about insurance? I guess it doesn't. And so it's, it, I didn't see anything. I, I, I just looked okay. at that one that – one medicine but um you know yeah it did yeah. give you some good information it's a great place to, to start i mean yeah. most likely if they have the lowest price off the shelf then mm-hmm. they're probably going to have the lowest price with insurance too i would think yeah. so so that's a great place to start good prescription of the week all right and that leads up to our last topic here and that is the do's and don'ts for paying for college um yeah you want to be careful here you know i mean college is so expensive uh, you don't want to wreck your financial future mm. to pay for college, right? Yeah, we're going to start off with some of the don'ts. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. and we're going to finish up with some of the do's, right? So we've got some good answers of ways to pay for it. But, you know, guys, I mean, college is so expensive. I mean, you know, kids heading off to college this fall, it's really tempting for parents to do just about anything to come up with money to pay for the education. And we've seen that before. I've seen people having to work into their 70s because they did this one big um, don't. And that is rating your retirement funds. Ouch. 
retirement funds is for retirement. It's not for for education. And so don't follow this temptation. I mean, if you start digging into retirement fund, funds early, whether it's for something worthwhile, such as college tuition or, you know, something less pressing, it's going to wreak havoc on your golden years. And, uh, you know, there are three reasons why it's a bad idea. So we'll kind of go through the reasons why you should not uh, use your retirement funds to fund college expenses. And the first one's pretty obvious. Uh, there's going to be a day where you can't work and you really need that money. And you know, we realize a lot of people are, are, you know, postponing retirement, and part of their plan is to work into their, you know, mid to late 60s. And uh, But the fact is, as many as one out of two people will be forced to retire earlier than planned. And we see those stats before. That's that's a big number. Either by choice or, you know, restructuring. That's right. A lot of times. There's a lot of reasons. That's exactly right. I mean, half of us that says will be forced into retirement before really ready to, either because of health issues, as you mentioned, Gordon, or, you know, a change in employment, um, maybe caring for elderly parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of reasons why you might have to quit work early, so you can't count on that. And if you take money out while you're still young and in good health, you may not have the resources or the time to meet your basic needs when you're at the age of retire. And you're no longer able to work because you're not able to get the money back in there. We see this time and again. People yeah. don't repay that money into their plan. That's right. And sometimes they can't because they're not working. So that's number one. Number two here on the list is if you take money out early, you're going to miss out on the miracle of compound interest. So let's assume you're 50 years old and you plan on working another 15 years. So if you pull out a $10,000 withdrawal from your retirement account, that could cost you twice as much. Um you know, and the reason is, is because the lost opportunity of having that money grow uh, over time is is a piece of the puzzle. So it's not just ten thousand dollars. That's right. It can be a lot more, John. Like you were uh, saying, let's let's look at an example. Um, let's assume that you earn six percent on your retirement account over the next fifteen years, which is pretty realistic. Um, had the ten thousand dollars been left in the account to grow, it would be worth roughly twenty four thousand dollars. That's mm-hmm. that's some expensive yeah, money right there, sure you know. By the time you reach, you know, sixty five, so that ten thousand dollars in college expenses really cost you twenty four thousand mm-hmm. mm-hmm. dollars. So you've really gotta kinda take a look at that. Yeah, it's not just the ten thousand. The other piece you have to look at is the taxes and penalties on the withdrawals are just they're outrageous. I mean the taxation um, you know, from retirement plans such as a four oh one K and they can be tricky as well. So you gotta be careful with this. And as you guys know, the income tax system is progressive, which meaning, you know, the higher one's income, the higher percentage of the income that'll go to taxes. So federal tax rates are from zero up to almost forty percent. So uh, you also have to factor in you're going to have if you pull money out, you'll be paying state taxes in most situations. So if you look at a ten thousand dollar withdrawal, that could easily cost you more than three thousand dollars in federal and state taxes. But that's not all. I mean, if you're not fifty nine and a half. Uh, or retired and older than 55, you'll also have a 10% penalty as well to put on top of that. So we're looking at like a 40% tax rate. And some states, like California, also has uh, a 2.5% additional penalty. So you're probably going to be in the 35 to to 40% tax bracket or tax rate on that withdrawal. Yeah, it is brutal. When you add up all the taxes and penalties, you may find you need to pull out $20,000 in order to just to net $10,000. I mean, that $20,000 reduction in your retirement account could mean you'll have $48,000 left when you reach age 65 
based on a 6% rate of growth. So, I mean, people always say, you know, they're going to make it up afterwards. But, you know, in my experience, John, I've I've never seen people Mm -hmm. put the money back in once they take it out. Yeah. So if you look at it, $10,000 tuition bill, you know, with the taxes and the the growth that will be forfeited, it could cost you almost $50,000. And that's ten thousand. I mean, you know, universities today. You know, if you're local, that may be ten thousand. But if you go to a Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, it's twenty. And so these are really big numbers. So, Gordon, what are some things that people can do to um, to, to leave the retirement funds alone? Well, there there are a number of different options to consider here. You know, have your child live at home and attend a college that's within driving distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trading off the gas money for uh, the dorm to uh, fee might be worth it. You know, and Staying in the dorm isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Um, you know, it can it can distract, should we say, sometimes from uh, that, that the from learning experience? experience. Well, I started off in the dorm. I didn't finish in the dorm. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So that's a good one. Another one is is to re- enroll your child in a community college rather than university. I mean, there are a lot of smart kids who choose to attend a local community college for the first two years. That'll significantly cut down your cost. So, guys, we have great uh, options around here. Uh, you know, Augusta State, Aiken Tech, USC Aiken, it'll really reduce that bill. So you really got to consider that. Um, another one is to encourage uh, your your kids to, uh, to work their way through school. I mean, you know, tuition costs are a lot higher than they were 20 or 30 years ago. But, you know, that student can also work um, through the summer as well as through the school year and, um, you know, help out with that bill and spending money and so forth. I know Steve and I can talk from experience. It is there are a lot of hidden costs. It's not just the tuition um, that is increased in in, uh, expenses over time. So there are some ways that you can reduce that bill, but stay away from your retirement. You You can get a loan for college, but you can't get one for retirement. That's exactly right, you know, and working's an option, and just planning ahead. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, use the 529 plan, put enough money in there for college um, well ahead of time. Okay, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, children. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Jesus!